before come to IMS for this retreat, you were somewhere, perhaps home, and your mind wasn't, at least for some of us, not completely on what you were doing at home because it was here. Now we're here, and the mind's going to be about what's happening when we get home. So somehow it's always behind itself or ahead of itself. So we still are here. Just wanted to remind you about that. (laughs) And there's actually scientific proof of that. (laughs) I see all these bodies. Now, where your mind is, I haven't a clue. But if it's somewhere else, that's not a crime. Just see it. See it and back here. Typically, this is called, uh, in so many of the retreats, probably around the world, an integration talk where this is the last day and we've been mainly living a contemplative life in silence. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and now uh, we're packing up, we're already packed up, getting in cars, weather, and so forth, getting home to what home is for you. Um, so how to integrate what we've been doing here with what we're going to be doing. Now, you can use that term if you like. Um, we have a slightly different model that we've been using since day one, uh, which is we started talking about life as a whole. There's just life. It's not ch- so much chopping it up into pieces, uh, fragments, and then trying to stitch it all together. The truth is, there's integration going on all the time when we go from one situation to another. Sometimes it's smooth. Uh, you go on a holiday from a northern climate and you get off the plane and it's blazing hot and there's the ocean. Isn't there somewhat of a change? Should I bring the right clothes? And so, so that's always going on. Granted, this can be a dramatic change sometimes. But here's the advantage and the way of working. I feel the view is very important. The view, it's like a paradigm of life. Whether we know it or not, we have unexamined models in our head about how life is. Now, if you come to retreats of this sort, what tends to happen, and especially if you, f- if you love this approach, this or a, the contemplative approach to life, meaning you're starting to really appreciate not only the necessity, I would say even the urgency, but the joy, really, of uh, self-discovery, of uh, um, understanding, of learning, a learning in a new realm now, firsthand, only we can do it, and as been mentioned a few times, we're uh, washing the brain clear, and it keeps getting muddied up, and we wash it and it gets muddied up, so that we have a better chance of when we act anywhere, that what we're acting, where the action comes from, is instead of from the past, or some other imagining, it's more attuned to the factual reality that's right here in, in our midst. So if you have that view, which I, that's how I was started. It's not something I, my very first teacher uh, started me that way. So there's just life. And we move from one situation into another. Um, so this is a situation and there's correct action. <clears throat> what can guide us as we move from one situation to another? Uh, what, again, what has helped me very much uh, been a view of what is correct action here? 
there may be a better way to phrase it, put it in your own terms, but when you walk into a, a situation or enter a situation, typically uh, it's obvious at what's called for. If you're going to get into your car, as we all will in a little while, what is correct action? Drive. You know, to bring your awareness to the act of driving. That has to be dominant. And granted, they're drinking coffee and, you know, all these things we plug in our ears and this and that. And then we're told not to, but we still do it. And we have bumper stickers that says, I don't do this, but you, the person... <laughs> um, okay. So, correct action, sometimes very, very simple. Uh, and if you enter a situation and it's not clear what correct action is, then uh, pause. Don't, uh, out of desperation, impose some kind of plan or some kind of action. Take a few moments. Maybe it's ambiguous. Maybe <clears throat> it's just an open period and who knows what. So in this particular situation, for five days now, correct action has been to honor the form. The form here includes a schedule, uh, sitting and walking, maintaining silence, mostly, sometimes appropriate to speak, then we speak, and so forth. There are guidelines as to how to live here. If, uh, and we've had cases of this over the years, of sometimes people who come and just don't like this, can't stand it, and uh, just take matters into their own hands. Sometimes we've had to ask them to leave or say, look, uh, you're disturbing everyone else. It's not just about you. And some people then comply and some don't. Well, as we leave here, let's say you leave here, as we will, uh, correct action, there is an integration. But see, that's part of practice. It's no different. If there's just life of one piece, then wherever you are, that's the perfect place to practice because it's the only place to practice because that's where you are alive so that the activity of living is the materials that we use to practice with. That's the main altar. It isn't a synagogue, a temple, uh, an ashram, uh, whatever. Uh, you can go to these places, IMS. These are wonderful uh, dramatic creations. It's theater. I mean, it's a stage prop we have here. It's a very useful one. It's been used for thousands of years. Uh, and knowing that doesn't diminish it. So in one sense, this is very special because it's so different from the way we normally live that we can get certain things done. But there's certain things that we can't get done here. I've learned certainly from my pain and many others have. Because when we leave here, correct action changes. Okay? Uh, and so in one sense, life is just an unending unfolding of situation, one situation after another. If you have that view then you don't get into this divorce between uh, my practice, which largely happens at IMS and places like this, and then the real world. That's how it's often talked about. Uh, as far as I can tell, this world is as real as the one we're going to be going into. I mean, it's not Disneyland. It's and even Disneyland is a real world. It's just a made-up, you know, if you know what it is. It has its uses. Children love it, and some adults, especially from other countries, go nuts with it. But <laughs> I find it rather boring, but okay. Um, so if you understand that, when we say life and practice are the same thing, it's not just being poetic or, or cute. We really mean it. 
That is, and that's a hard, and we have to, how to learn that? Because we're riding against the tide, in my experience. Because every religious tradition has icons. That's, our icon is right there. And so it's very, very clear that the icon, this icon, let's just limit it to this, uh, is dictating what ideal behavior is. And that is to sit in repose and our boss, my boss, the three of us, he's got a, usually a good one, really good one, have a very subtle, serene look on the face. There's a strong posture established, like what we've been saying, but I don't know if any human being can sit the way that guy sits. But, and weather doesn't matter. I have one in my backyard. He's covered with snow right now, my wife told me. He doesn't care. His sitting is just as strong as ever. But he's dead. Okay. <laughs> okay. He's just carved out of stone, you know. Okay. So what tends to happen is this becomes, can happen. And what we're trying to do is to minimize the possibility of that. Look, the three of us love this place. We love to sit. We love to practice. It's not to disparage it. It's to put it in the context of a total life. And a total life means for us as lay people that most of our life is going to be lived with people, jobs, school, work, etc. Children, you know, you know what your life is, whatever it is, that's it. Perfect. Those are the materials you work with. Yeah, but you don't understand. I have it. No, I do understand. That's it. But my boss is very, yeah, he's your, yes, he, he is. I understand. That's it. He's it. <laughs> but no, no, I've never had a boss like that. You never, he's just a tyrant. I said, okay, what effect does he have on you? Well, he, that's it. Anyway, so uh, the world exists in order to set us free. It's a weird way to look at things. But um, a relationship, we're going to get into that in a moment. Each re- human relationship is a doorway into liberation, potentially, if you know how to use it. Again, no one's looking at it that way. Now then you might think, a doorway into liberation, does that mean we don't care about people? Or just see them as sort of something you walk through and then on the other side you get free, but you don't really care about them if they die or they, they're lonely. No, uh, the practice enables you to be even more sensitive to who they are and what they are and what your actions should be. Okay, so uh, otherwise, be careful. If you loved being here, some of you may not. You might have hated it, and this may be this may be the swan song of your career. <laughs> Short-lived, but decisive. <laughs> uh, and for other, others of you, you may wind up, uh, this may be part of your life for the rest of, as long as you're on this strange planet. Um, okay, now, it, what, what, what does happen so often, and that's what prompted us to start a center in Cambridge, is that we create a dichotomy, of, and it's a kind of non-hospitalizable schizophrenia, <laughs> where real spiritual work happens like this. And then, you know, earning a living, putting up with your partner, your husband, wife, you know, you know, make enough money so you can feed them and clothe them, honor the precepts, all that's very, very important. And, but this is the real thing, and, and you can't wait, uh, those of us who like this stuff, uh, to get to the next one. Or the mind is already, yeah, I think I can, maybe if I change my travel plans from here to there, I can get to a seven-day or a ten-day. I want to do the three months. I think I'm, I'm going to go to Burma someday soon, you know. <laughs> Um, great, but in the meantime, 
life rolls on moment by moment. There it is. And that's our challenge. Uh, the schizophrenic approach means we so elevate this that it's at the expense of everything else. For example, typically, individual interviews at, at Cambridge, when I, people come in, I'll say, how is your practice? I would say 99% until they get on to us. You know, uh, I say, they'll say, oh, I didn't get to sit much this week. I had very busy and this one was sick and that one went away and my boss is, and I just didn't have time to sit at all. I said, I didn't ask about your sitting, I asked about your practice. You know, oh, uh, because it's hard to overcome a very strong new conditioning uh, to see spiritual and worldly, that's another, to me, fake dichotomy made up by the mind. To me, this was just it. This is it. And there are teachings within the Buddhist tradition which honor that, you know, which understand that liberation is right here and right now. Uh, for example, what we were getting at is those moments when you're unaware and you get born as a whatever it is because you're becoming this, becoming that, a grasping, pushing away. Uh, the moments when there's awareness, let's say there's selfing, does that term, it's a good term, we use it a lot. In other words, well, you've made me and mine out of uh, something. If it's accompanied by awareness, I believe I mentioned this, then you, do, you don't get born in the sense that I was talking about it, Mahabhu, uh, Buddhadasa, Ajahn Buddhadasa was talking about it. And so as there's awareness more and more, uh, there's less and less of that. Now, um, throughout the day, what is being asked of us is, uh, it's like taking care, taking care of, your own, of your mind. And now the culture is full of exhortation about endless diets and, uh, you know, somehow I thought vegan was the last stop. Uh, it isn't. So now it's a whole food, plant-based diet. Well, I said, isn't that vegan? And I'd say, no, a lot of vegan stuff is unhealthy. It's not whole, whole food. I actually agree with what they're saying. But, you know, now that becomes whoosh, a strong trip with books and tapes and films and, you know, uh, and people marching in lockstep, you know, about, uh, I think I, I, when I was, I taught at Omega and I, when I first heard the term, I said, can I have a, a, a vegan cookie? I, you know, you go up and buy and said, uh, vegan, please? Vegan? So, excuse me. <laughs> Pardon me for living, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, I've been vegetarian for 50 years, so, but I don't think that's the onlyest way. I honestly don't. I, so, now here's an, uh, you know, this talk may not unfold in a very logical manner. Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I hope we cover at least some of the bases. Okay. Um, the beauty of mindfulness, of awareness, when you understand that it's... You, we're, at first, it doesn't feel like a way of life. Of course not. It's a technique. It's a method. We forget to do it so much. Uh, this is so powerful that we can't help but think of this uh, in some way comparatively versus everything else which is noisy and dirty and people don't agree with us and etc. Uh, and it's quite a learning and our whole practice is about learning. We've been emphasizing that too. It's a different quality of learning. Some of it's from books and from teachers. We have a little bit of value but the main book to read is you, the book of you. 
I would say all the books in the bookstore, their main value, including my own, is to help inspire or encourage or help direct you to read the only book that's really, really going to change your life dramatically, and that's the book of you. That means we're, we're encouraging you to start genuinely getting to know yourself, and it can't just all be done on a cushion. That's a, this is my conclusion. Unless you live your whole life in the confines of retreat centers, monasteries, the jungle, a cave, okay, you've charted out that life, it's fine. And, if, and some people can flower that way. I'm, good for them, it's wonderful. But that isn't our life. Our life includes whatever, you know, you know all too well what your life is. So I don't think we have a choice. Uh, we have to learn how to, t it's not that you need new teachings. The basic teachings that we get here and elsewhere, we have to learn how to apply them in the midst of the turmoil, sometimes the pain, uh, the joy, the complexity of daily life, and the heat and the fire of living. We have to learn how to do that. And one way, uh, one important consequence of what I've been talking about is we have to learn how to value daily life. In other words, do you, do you value that you're alive? Or is it all about gross national product? You know, somehow, whisper, gross national product went down, went up, went down, went up. You know, yeah, that's an indicator of something, especially if you're poor. I don't mean to be arrogant about that, but uh, we don't. The quality of life is if you become, if you get interested in this, it's in it's in your face all the time. You wouldn't come here unless you cared about the quality of your life, and probably there are ways in which there are inadequacies for all of us, mistakes that we've made uh, that we keep making, uh, poor choices. It's not fatal, no matter what age you are, because the joy is in the moment, in the practice. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, I'm, I'm uh, in my 70s and I just found out about this. I guess it's too late to do this. Uh, and they look around and there are all these, you know, young teeny boppers now coming, or young people coming. Teeny boppers, you don't use that term anymore. That <laughs> dates me, all right. Sarah, what is, what is, is anything replaced teeny boppers? <laughs> Young adult. Oh. <laughs> Young adults. Whatever that means. Uh, that means not quite as foolish yet. Uh, a little more deluded, because they haven't had enough disappointment, haven't got pushed around by life enough yet. But uh, fun to be with, unless you're their parents. <laughs> uh, Okay. Where are we here? Lost in Yonkers. Okay. Yes, thank you very much. Um, if I were a God-fearing person, I would say, God bless you. But I ain't. <laughs> I'm not against God. I'm not for him. I don't know what it is. I haven't got a clue. I never have. When I was in the military, people said there are no, there, there are no atheists in foxholes. Well, the most fear I've ever had in life has been in the army. No question about it. I didn't think of God. I thought of my family. I thought of my parents, my sister, uh, uncles, and aunts. never. It's just not been real to me. I'm not an atheist. I'm a don't knowist. Now we can make a new one out of that. <laughs> <laughs>
All those we believe and don't know. <laughs> we can have a march of Fifth Avenue <laughs> with banners, with big question marks. <laughs> All you people who do know, you're, tr you're destroying the world. <laughs> okay. Uh, but that's the central attitude of this practice, is an open mind, child mind, beginner's mind, don't know mind, not knowing mind. That's a form of intelligence. It sounds like, duh, but it isn't. It means that your the mind is fresh and willing to learn, able to willing to learn. Here's what I was going to say, let's say people think they're a little too old. Um, the practice is now and forever coming back to this moment. So we all, all we all have is this moment. Whether you just started or you've been practicing for 50 years, it's this moment. Now you might say, yeah, but I don't have the tools, the development, the skill, and all that. I said, fine, but uh, there's the quality of life in this moment for you. And if you have the attitude, not of getting an A-plus in it, you know, getting a certificate or getting some professional recognition, it's just you're taking care of you this moment. That means you're taking care of your life in this moment. And... and what goes on, especially the learning that can come from attention, if you pay attention, is self-fulfilling. And so, it uh, doesn't matter how old you are. I mean, just jump in and start doing what you can do right now, and period. So we're all in the same boat. It's, here it is. It's here now, here now, here now. It keeps being like that. Um, for example, some people, I wrote a book on death, and people say, I guess you don't have any fear of death. I say, why? Because I wrote a book on it? Uh, that's no guarantee of anything. I said, check in with me at the time of death. That's graduation. See what happens. If uh, follow all those things that are said in all of these books on death. So all of us, it's, jump right, it's our life right now. That's, that's all I've been trying to say. Uh, the act of living is the material which we use. And sometimes, and I hope each day you can set aside some time to sit in stillness. It's not a luxury item. It never was. If you read even in ancient times, long before the Buddha, people found it necessary, and cultures did endorse it, that some silence in life, both inner and outer, very often the outer to support the development of inner, uh, is a, a vital nutrient in life. It's an, an, an uh, it's essential part of being alive. Just like talking, and listening, and moving, and sleeping, and standing, and walking. Silence, which we don't know. I mean, inner silence. Uh, it's never, did you go to school and they say, you know, you should really learn about inner silence. It, that's a normal part of the capacity of every human being. No one ever mentioned that to me. It's, uh, it was mainly by a residual category, a kind of break or a waste of time. You should be doing something creative. But uh, I don't think it's just reserved for special mystics. For, and at any rate, to come uh, make it a little bit more modest. Uh, now, in our life, forget about how it was in ancient times, uh, it's very complicated and fast and getting more and changes happening at a rapidity that we're not used to. And to set aside some time to just simply, don't call it Vipassana, don't call it Zen, don't call it, just to simply sit down and quietly, just with no agenda whatsoever, no goals, nothing to achieve. I don't know, my practice isn't going well. Throw that all out. Just a human being taking some time, 
your family, if you have one there, on, uh, help them. On the, they don't have to do it, but they should let, honor your right to do it. And just sit quietly and just be with yourself. And you notice that you're breathing and sounds are coming. Images go through the mind. Thoughts come and go. You're starting the day. Maybe you feel happy. Maybe you don't. The body aches in one place. It feels good in another. Uh, and you're starting the day. To me, it's not a luxury item. It, we really need it desperately. Uh, but people have always done it in less complicated times, much simpler. Fewer distractions. Well, who knows? Maybe other things distracted them. But um, there was always suffering. Look, the Buddhist teaching is, is pushing towards 3,000 years old. It's all about, the Buddha says, all I'm teaching is suffering and the end of suffering. That's all. Um, that so- it sounds like, well, where's joy? Where's this? Where's beauty? Uh, of course that's related to it because as we take care of suffering, which all of us know, it's a, it's a wonderful way to start, get to, to, to initiate a practice because every human being shares that. It, it has nothing to do with what your official religion is, whether you came here with a, or are actively involved in, in a certain religion. That's fine. Stay with it. But do you suffer? If you do, this is basically a human thing. We suffer, and there's a reason why we do, and this provides us with some help in seeing it, understanding it, and moving through it so that our life becomes beautiful. Because we start to tap something that is our birthright. It's it's sometimes called coming home, our true home. Awareness is your true home. Let's go to that. Let's see how much time. Not too bad. Um, when you take, re- the, for example, in the Buddhist tradition, I just want to make sure I sketch out, I think I have, try to sit each day. It's really helpful. Some days it feels as if you just don't have time. Five minutes. Um, the different methods, let's, how do they apply? I, I just said you don't need to know any new techniques. Just apply what you've learned here, but only in a different context, different situation. Uh, the first day, couple of days and, and throughout, we've emphasized whole body breath awareness. So let's just say breath awareness. There are many times during a typical day or sometimes when uh, just you're waiting for a dentist or a doctor and you're, there's a wait. You're waiting for a train, a plane. Um, wherever you are, uh, you're in nature. Uh, sometimes you're feeling a little upset and you have and you're able to get to get away for a few moments just feeling a few breaths well you don't even have to get away right in in situ right and where you are just feel the breath happening sometimes two or three breaths and you're you're grounded again and from there it's the living becomes uh, easier now with the second method if the second approach that we spent the rest of the retreat on either you're using the breath to support awareness or some people are not as drawn to breathing. It's always going to be there. Uh, just awareness of its, itself. So can we learn how to bring that into daily life? Uh, let's t- take breathing when it's as an anchor, when it's accompanying you. If you're drawn to that method, and many people are, and that's what the, that, was the, that is the most complete teaching the Buddha gave on meditation. It's very systematic. It's very coherent and clear. And so it's a, in other words, breath awareness accompanies everything else. It's not just concentration. So let's say you're in nature. Try it sometime. 
you're looking at a, a beautiful tree or a mountain or a river. And as you're with the breathing, the breathing cuts down a lot of unnecessary thinking. It, it's simultaneous. It's not like people will say, well, I'm trying to do two things. It feels like I'm trying to stay with the breath and also be with watching the birds. Say, no, it, that's, you're breaking it apart and then you have to pace it together again. It's just an open awareness. It's simultaneous. They're both happening at the same time. So there's breathing, and that's this wholeness idea, W-H-O-L-E, where you're with the breath, but the breath is uh, helping to soothe you, calm the mind, and sometimes what many of us have seen, uh, the seeing is much clearer, and the breath helps you. The day may come when you don't need it. Just the seeing in and of itself is clear. And... uh, for me, because I did years of breath awareness, this, what we've been doing here, when I, mostly I just sit with no agenda when I sit. And in daily life too. Oh, think about the transfer to daily life. Here's a practical reason why we emphasize no agenda. When you sit without an agenda, you're getting practice being with whatever turns up, some of which is wonderful, some of which you don't like, some of which you hate, and you can see how you relate to it, how you want to avoid it, how you embrace it, how you want to hold on to it, how you want to push it away. You're getting experience being with what's unpredictable because you don't know what's going to come next. And you're learning that you can learn to do that. You're learning how to learn. Well, isn't life like that? Is it just when you sit down in your mind? Aren't there a lot of surprises in life? Is everything just worked out exactly according to plan? I doubt it. So... The mind is learning how to be more agile, nimble, flexible, not only attentive, but that attention has a fluid quality so that it can be with the way things are. And when you're thrown, when you get fixated and the situation changed, you feel it. You feel the suffering and you can get back on your feet with the help of the breath or not. And uh, it's a, it's a, that's how it becomes a marvelous aid to living. Now, the other, and this may be way ahead, especially those of you who are new. Um, I've tried for years to come up with terms, and I've not liked any of them. Finally, something that's bearable. What I would call it is engaged stillness. That is, when the mind learns how, it, it learns that part of your endowment, your human endowment, each and every one of us, no one in this hall got cheated, is a, a realm that's unexplored. It's the unknown. Uh, it's, I have to use language. It's an interior journey, but it's not in my chest. You know, if you open it up, you're not going to find out what I... You know, I say it's in the heart. If you open up and do a... It's not in the left ventricle or left... You know, where is it? You know, you can't... Where is it? Where's awareness? How much does awareness weigh? What color is it? You know, and yet it is potent, powerful. It may turn out, well... So that as more and more stillness, inner stillness becomes, uh, it's what one Thai uh, woman teacher, uh, uh, Upasaka Ki called, uh, normalcy. See, from a Dharma point of view, normalcy is not what we think of as normalcy. That's considered distorted. Because we're constantly seeing through yesterday's eyes and listening through yesterday's ears. Uh, Normalcy is when the mind is equanimous. It's It's just clear. And so it's more likely to be able to see things just as they are. And, okay, you may feel there's still dust on your, uh, covering over the mirror, but if there's a lot of, you know, like amusement parks, I don't know if they still do it. I grew up near Coney Island, so uh, my life was spent 
uh, on breaks in high school, we'd go on the parachute jump. Now you understand my personality. Okay. Um, there used to be these mirrors that would, you'd walk in and you'd be elongated, you know, your head would be like this and your nose would be like that. And, you know, uh, we don't know it, but maybe that's, we're each seeing the world in a somewhat distorted way. Okay, so engage stillness, we tend to think of stillness as separate from action. That's something you do in special places like here. Yes, certainly it's easier to learn about it here. No question about that. But once you taste it and you realize it's there, it's, it's inherent, it's right here. It's not in the Himalayas. We don't have to import it from anywhere, it's right here. And, and more and more as you, when it occurs, sometimes it's just between two thoughts. 10 seconds or between a breath, two breaths. And you, more and more, when silence comes, don't think that it's nothing is happening. Silence is what's happening. And that is the direction the practice goes in. It's a doorway into freedom. So more and more, when silence visits you, you can't make it come. It, it won't. It doesn't respond that way. It just is. And if you love it, it grows. And if you don't, you'll never see it again. In other words, you, or you tr- get ambitious about it, it'll shut the door shuts down. The ambition is the do- shut the closed door. Okay, so as you learn more and more to recognize it, then you can stabilize it by by usage, and you lose it, you get it, you use it. More and more that can follow you into daily life in the heat of relationships. Okay, now awareness. If you follow our practice. We've been watching everything arise and pass away, arise and pass away. So there's something in us, this awareness, that knows all this. And finally, if everything that you watch comes and goes, and what's left is something that doesn't seem to come and go, who's that? What's that? And now the the ego is going to start thinking, figuring it out. Well, where am I in all this? I'm supposed to play an important role here. And this sounds like I'm just being seen through and then, and then dumped after all these years of how hard we've worked together. <laughs> now I'm nothing. We used to be a partner in everything. And, you know, you, we went through all these stages where you know, the ego was uh, embellished by this achievement and that achievement and this outfit and that outfit and then this uh, attainment and the moving here and doing it. And all of that, we built up a whole story of ourselves and images about it. And now we have it. And now all it is is a passing show. It's heartbroken. And it's brilliant. You are up. We're all up against something. You don't know who you're up against. Maybe you do now. No matter what you want, it will give it to you. You want to open up a horror house? Great. <laughs> Great. Well, I'll just open the best horror house in town. Uh, because it, wants, it just wants to be the star of the show. It doesn't care. And if it can't be good, it'll be bad. It'll be whatever you want. The joke in my family was, my father was more objective. My mother... Uh, the joke was, if Larry came home from the university and said, Mom, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not staying in the university, I'm going to open up a whorehouse, my mother would say, will that make you happy, dear? You know, <laughs> I would say, yes, it will. Oh, then I'm happy for you. <laughs> yeah. And then my father was like, come on, come off it. You, you can't be serious. He, everything was, he just would, like, you remember W.C. Fields, older people? We'd punk it like children would go with a balloon and say, look at my balloon. You take a cigar, 
<laughs> he'd say, get out of here, you little pain in the neck. You know, and, but people would laugh, you know. Uh, so my father did smoke a cigar, and he punctured all my balloons. I would come home, Dad, you know that bad? And he'd say, that's baloney. I wouldn't, that's not true. And he'd say, what do you mean? It is true. And of course, inevitably, he was true. And it got to be humiliating. But anyway, the two of them, the two of them formed a decent combination. But when we take the precepts, or let's say refuges, refuge in the Buddha, at first, it's the outer Buddha, historical figure. Then uh, Dharma, it becomes, and we go deeper. Uh, it's not a historical figure, it's what the Buddha was an awakened person. So we understand that wakefulness is what the Buddha is. That's a quality of mind that this human being attained. In other words, fully awake. Okay. Then we get to Dharma. First, it's teaching, like what we're doing, words. Uh, and then it becomes, you start seeing the lawfulness. And then Sangha, the community, we support each other and learn from each other and so forth. But finally, I think you'll find, if you keep doing this, that they all culminate in awareness. It's finally the safest place in the world for all of us. If you can more and more uh, come, reside in awareness, I don't know how many people really live there full time. I honestly don't. My guess is not a huge number. But I have met enough people where they're, they're central, locate, they're, they're back there a lot. And they're aware. And so they're not getting drowning in a lot of all the things, all the 10,000 joys and sorrows. They're participating. They're enjoying the joy. And they feel the sorrow. But whew, the awareness, it just <clears throat> brainwashed. It's cleaned away. So now let's get to relationship. Um, relationship is a central part of our life, isn't it? Uh, Michael was getting at it, a new approach. We're, we have a new approach. Actually, relationship is everything. Relationship to our mind. We're learning how to relate to our mind in a very different way. Relationship to our body. Awareness is so practical. Mind so practical. For example, I forgot to mention, with all these diets and everything, start learning from your body. You know, if you want to experiment with a new diet, it's not like it's going to take up, you need a new technique or a new method. It's part of being mindful of, what, of life as you live it out. That you can notice certain foods make the mind dull. Well, if you want a meditative life, eat fewer of that or even eliminate it. Certain foods make the mind agitated. Then be careful about eating those foods. Certain foods are nice and smooth, easily digested. Uh, the mind feels clear. In other words, if you're a meditator, you care about the quality of your mind. And certain other things, all kinds of nutrients. It's not a special project. It comes as a byproduct of paying attention if you're willing to learn from what awareness teaches you. It shows you. There has to be this interest. To me, interest, genuine interest in your life, in understanding, in investigating, in inquiring, in uh, testing long-held conclusions putting them up in front of you and see if they stand the test. Seeing mistakes and being able to admit mistakes if you made them and then learning from them and moving on. That's, uh, that's what a lot of this is about. Seeing those behaviors, verbal and otherwise, which produce suffering in us and in others. It's unskillful in Buddhist language. Cult making room, so unlearning all of that, stuff that's destructive. In this approach, you unlearn it by seeing it and you see the consequences of it. When you do this, you get someone socks you in the jaw. 
Well, I'll do it again. Another sock in the jaw. How many more times are you going to do that until you see, oh, and that falls away from understanding, from intelligence. This is a stupid way to do things. It doesn't work. But it's not from a book. It's that you see it in your own life. That's firsthand intimate learning. Then it's yours. It's, you didn't borrow it from the Buddha. It's yours. And so forth. So that's, if you have real interest, real motivation, that to me is the strongest samadhi. Not, you, know, you can do, do techniques and methods and training programs and all that. It's helpful. But if you're really interested, think about something you're really interested in in your life. Just that natural interest. Isn't that the best then it's not work. You really want to do it. I've had three other jo- I was in law school, I was in the military, I was a professor. People say, uh, when are you going to retire? I say, I retired 30, I did 35 years ago. Because I work hard here, but it's not a job, really. I love what I'm doing, but it took me a lot of suffering to get here. Everything fell short, fell short, fell short. And I had the luxury of being able to change. In this country, we're fortunate. I don't know if that's true anymore. Maybe not, but in my generation it was. Uh, so a life of learning, uh, and, we, and we're developing the tools to make that not just a cliche. And when you can, of course, come back to places like this. Of course. And make space in your home for sitting and, and walking. We have, a, my, we have an apartment in Cambridge, my wife and I, and there's a long corridor. I do walking meditation there and a, a small room where I do, my, do sitting and some yoga. Um, and um, not that special. You can, you can follow a corner of a corner of a, if you maybe are in a studio apartment or just one room, just uh, temporarily, just set, set it up so it's pleasing and try to make time for it each day. Those of you who've been around have heard this, but we have a lot of new people here. So the sitting is important. Now, my experience in teaching these things in Cambridge is when I emphasize daily life, which really needs it, because daily life is hard, and many of us have come to meditation to escape from daily life. It's just, I can't take this anymore. This is why I'm coming to these places. It's, uh, so I see these places like a field hospital. I was in the medical corps. It's like a field hospital. It's right, not exactly in the middle of, it's very close to the battle line where people are brought in, and of course, in the military, what they try to do is to patch you up and get you back into combat, um, or withdraw you. So this is a, a field hospital, but we're trying to patch you up, but we're pushing you right out. <laughs> in other words, in a, in a couple of hours or less, uh, you're back in the real world. Okay, can you, we dissolve that and understand there's just life? and the, the challenge is living it, and we're developing the tools to do it. And if you do it, it's a way of living. It's not merely a bag of techniques and methods and romantic fantasies and stuff like that. Um, yes, when I teach in Cambridge, I try to emphasize daily life because no matter how much I say things like what I've just said and others of us do who teach there. People can't help, I know it in myself, but feel it, yeah, that's, that's nice, Larry, but we know the real thing is just sitting and walking and coming to CIMC and IMS, we know that. Um, so it's very strongly conditioned 
so I put a lot of energy into daily life. How's it going? I draw people out and try to apply Dharma principles to what's happening in relationship. In other words, when you're in the presence of another, you have a reaction. And you can't help it. We're conditioned. A reaction is a conditioned event. Like, prick me, I'll bleed. Uh, someone says things a certain way, depending on your history, you react. That's the material that we practice with in, in interaction. In, social interaction now is a field, um, that's what I mean by the world exists to set us free. It can. That is, so that while you're with somebody, let's say you're in front of me, do you mind? I'm attending to you, and let's say we're talking. I'm attending to you. I said, do you mind? I didn't give you a, well, you did nod. But you, you had no choice, right? Because <laughs> I was going to steamroller over you anyway. Uh, okay. Uh, so I'm t- we're, t- we're talking. We're trying to have a conversation. You have your, your baggage, what you came here with. I have mine. Uh, and so we're talking, and you say something. You look at me a certain way. You're not enthusiastic about some teaching I just gave. And I feel like something in me gets hurt. You know, the little, the four-year-old inside of me, which is quite prominent, gets hurt (laughs) and starts fretting. But I can feel it. But I haven't lost touch with you. You can train yourself, re-educate yourself is a better term, so that uh, you retain, you keep in touch with your inner life while attending to, it's not either here or there. Mostly we get caught up. So I don't get lost in what you did. And we're learning how to do it. You will get lost and we forget to do it at first. And it could be quite a while. Little by little, you can get, you can learn it like anything else. So I'm, I'm attending to you, but I see that I've had a reaction. Now that's a reaction. I can't help it. My feelings were hurt because you weren't, you didn't get fall off your cushion with excitement about my teaching. Okay. Uh, so then, what I say may be colored by that as a reaction. Like say, yeah, but you don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's just, go home and practice. You'll see, I'm right. Um, if you're aware of it, it tends, that, that's the brainwashing. If you're aware of it, in other words, I just gave birth to Larry, the suffering teacher. That me, who didn't, was not approved of. I just got, in that moment, I gave birth. And, and that is inseparable from the suffering. Selfing is suffering. Most of the time, we're suffering. Because we make something, we create a fiction, we identify with it. And then we're stuck with it. And we make good ones, but they don't last, or not everyone sees it that way. Okay, so I see that falls away. And then there's, that makes room for a response. A response comes out of, that's engaged stillness. The response is a little clearer, or with some practice it can be very clear. And so now what I say to you might even be the same words that I would have said, but the energy is different. Because it's not coming out of, uh, it's not mechanistic. Do you see what I'm getting at? But I'm, and I've, I've never lost touch with you, and sometimes I'm more in here, sometimes less with you, but not lost, lose touch. Sometimes I'm more with you, but not lose touch here. And if you're practicing, you can start to, know, I might, let's say we have an ongoing relationship, like if you're married or live with someone for a long time. We form images of them, and I can, you can see them in your mind, you're not relating to them. You're relating to your image of them. And of course, they have it of you. And so there are all these images that are, they may have sex together and live, sleep side by side, but they're, they're just, uh, they're not fully intimate. 
if you see through the images and they fall away, it's, this, it's not like you have amnesia. You see the person how, as they are in that moment. If I could give you a concrete example. Of course, I've formed images of my wife. We've been together for 20 years. And she works in a hospital. And I may have mentioned this, but now clarified a little bit. And she comes home with stories about how the, the patients are a pain in the butt, some of them. You know, they just don't want to do what the doctor says, or they don't listen, or whatever it is. She's a translator for Russian patients. They are elderly. They come from the Soviet Union a totally um, authoritarian medical system. The doctor says, here's what you will do. They're used to that. Here, American doctors, well, let's see. As I see it, we have five ways to go. On the one hand, we can go da-da-da, but then again, but and they're, they're, aside from the language barrier, there's a different cultural medicine. So she comes from a medical background. So her job is to bridge these two, and the doctors don't understand the Russians. So she'll come home sometimes exhausted from all that because she's got to listen to a lot of suffering, and some of it is also, well. And so uh, I would always give her a Buddhist remedy, like what I'm doing now. It could have led to divorce, so I hadn't wanted, you know, like, she didn't want a Buddhist remedy. She's not interested in these things. She's happy that I love it. She calls, and I, I love tea and this, so I have teapots and teacups. She calls them my Barbie dolls. <laughs> <laughs> Total disrespect. <laughs> That's why I come here. <laughs> so you can, so you can uh, bolster up my self-image. But it's going to get shot down as soon as I get home. Okay. Um, so, I, but by paying attention, you know, like she'd come home and have a certain look. And I'd say, oh, okay, here we... I don't necessarily say it, but the mind shows that I'm assuming it's going to be the same stories about... Uh, you know, Ivan Ivanovich, who couldn't, uh, da, 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 you know, uh, he still only wants to talk about is the Battle of Leningrad. He's eight, you know, 90 years old, and, uh, and, we went, and the doctor wants to talk about his arthritis. Uh, okay, so, uh, and I would give a Buddhist remedy, and I, I learned, but now when I saw that I have a conclusion about what's going to happen, it fell, falls away, and indeed, she may do that. It's still Ivan Ivanovich. But now it's more fresh, and I've, I'm much better, not perfect. I'm much better at knowing when to say something, and when to, she just wants an ear. She just wants somebody to, to hear, just somebody to hear, and, and just listening. And if she wants to know, well, what would the Buddha say about this? She asks me. Now and then she does. And then it's invited, so then I do it. Otherwise, I mind my own business. It's survival. Okay. <laughs> Okay, uh, let me uh, close. My granddaughter is going to do some teaching to you now because I've learned so much by watching her. Uh, unfortunately, I think she's growing up to be a little bit like someone, for example, she's five years old and she's in preschool and uh, she was in school and this was told to her mother and then it was told to me. And the teacher said, Ilanya, that's her name, says, you're not listening. And then she said it again. She said, Ilanya, you're not listening. When are you going to start listening? And Ilanya said, oh, I'm sorry. I left my ears home. <laughs> you see where, she, you know, she's in trouble. You can see where her life is going. But look, all of us get discouraged. 
we lose our zeal for the practice or anything else. We have these moments where we feel, not only can't I follow the breath, I can't find my nostrils. I don't know what anything is. And I don't want to do this. I just want to gorge myself on some rich food and watch a soap. I want to watch the best soap that ever was made, Downton Abbey. And, uh, you know, and I want to do that. And uh, we get very discouraged. Here's what I've learned from little Ilanya when she was a little younger. She was trying to learn how to walk. And I, I watch her very, very carefully. I told you one of my favorite photographs is she's enthralled with a balloon. Like, what's this? She was about two. And I'm enthralled with watching her watching the balloon because it's amazing how innocent she is and how interesting she is. It's just a balloon, you know, but not to her. Okay. So uh, she falls down and then she gets up and then she falls down. But she's trying to learn how to walk. And there's joy on her face. And, she, and little by little, she falls down less, and the steps are more continuous. And if she were us, this is how we would do it. You'd fall down, and then you'd say, oh, the child next door is even younger than me, and they've already made four or five steps. <laughs> you know, uh, and I've only made two. I better hurry up. I'm never going to learn how to walk, because the kid on the other side of the street, you know, and it... it she just falls down and gets up. It's, she doesn't turn it into a problem. She's learning how to walk. We're learning how to meditate. And even the beauty of the practice is that everything is welcome. So even if you're disappointed, welcome the disappointment. Great, come on in. Sit down and have some tea with some of Larry's Barbie dolls. <laughs> okay. Um, so I realize how much trouble we make. And, and she, but then th that isn't how the parents' minds were working. The adult minds were like this. They said, well, they have norms now. When I grew up, it wasn't, you know, people would just laugh and enjoy as we learned. I was told. I, uh, and now the doctors have all these norms worked out over hundreds of thousands of people. You know, by uh, by 3.4 years, she should be having 5.6 continuous steps. And if not, uh, we have to get a special class <clears throat> with a special teacher three times a week. <clears throat> but the school system apply uh, will cover that. And so we're taking the poor kid has to go, you know, okay. <laughs> but then the parents get caught up in the norms and make a lot of suffering. And I always say to when, because I don't suffer. I, I know that everyone learns at their own pace. So my medicine, including for myself, is Albert Einstein didn't learn to speak until he was six years old. And people were worried about him. At any rate, so uh, you get my drift? Yeah. Um, I know the three of us have enjoyed working with you all very much. And uh, the new people have really been open and honest and shared a lot of, some of it very intimate and painful inner doings and what's going on. And um, as this chapter closes, let it. You know, it's uh, let it close gracefully. You can have a nice memory of it if you do. Oh, one last piece of sagely advice. Let's say you hated this method. We gave you, you know, the breath and, you know, everything we said. You tried it for five days. You really can't stand it. Not only that, you can't stand anything you've heard about the Buddha and you don't like IMS. <laughs> Go to the mall. There is a mall, there is a spiritual mall. Try other techniques. It doesn't mean that you can't meditate. It means that this form of meditation may not be for you. 
uh, there isn't one form for everyone. Even within Vipassana, there's so many different styles and uh, paradigms and ways. Some is much more push, get there, the goal, get to that goal. And others is more of us, more allowing and relaxed. Um, go to them all. But if you're drawn to this approach, in other words, you found that this is really promising for you, and you see that this method may have some, bear some fruit for you, stay away from them all. Because everyone is so afflicted with shopping uh, madness that somehow you find something that's really good like this, if it is good for you. And then you still, well, the Tibetans say that, you know, there are eight uh, phases of this, but the Buddha says there are four, and he says six. And uh, then I think, but I think uh, Dzogchen is okay, but I hear that the Zen people, you know, and, uh, and you could drive yourself crazy. Um, so use your own a kind of, whatever level of wisdom you have. If this is promising for you, follow through on it. Don't go squandering all your resources by spreading yourself thin all over the place. And if it's not, move on. There, there are really lots of other options available now. We're very fortunate. Many good teachers, good places to go, and so forth. Could we have a few moments of silence, please? May we all continue to look into ourselves. May we see things exactly as they are. And may such clear, direct seeing free us. On behalf of the three of us up here, thank you very much for giving your best, and we uh, appreciate it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.